Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you today. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little update on myself. This is never about me being up here, but I thought you might want to know. So Friday, went to the ER with what was a hypertensive tension crisis and just real high blood pressure and uh, anyways, got some medication, try to get that down, and hopefully that'll help out with that, and then we'll figure things out uh, later on. But it's still high. Even last night, I was back at the emergency room at midnight to about 3.15 this morning. So if I say anything stupid this morning, then y'all can just chalk it up to that, all right? Uh, but we were uh, in the emergency room the other day, and I thought to share it. Uh, and I said to her, hey, maybe if we get this blood pressure thing worked out, I'll have a different personality <laughs> and how great that would be. So uh, uh, who knows what good things might come from, from it. But I do appreciate your prayers. I am upheld by them and believe that, uh, like the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it is uh, he that we are relying on that I'm relying on this morning. I'm going to ask the guys in the back, or those who are in the back, turn my mic up just a little bit. Just a little bit, because I'm not going to be talking real loud myself this morning. Not too much, just don't want it too loud. First uh, Thessalonians, I'm going to read verses uh, 14 through 22 of chapter 5. And if you'd follow along in your copy of God's Word, uh, afterwards I want to share with you a, a message entitled, Good Stuff. All right? And pay attention for the word good as we read through this. It comes up, I think, a couple of times. Verse 14, 1 Thessalonians 5, this is the word of the Lord. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, you are a gracious God, a mighty God. And I call upon you this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, as it's been said, shed his blood for us. Thank you, Father, that we have seen in this writing that he died for us. And we know that Jesus did not die and stay in the grave, but he rose again on the third day. And that hope of the gospel, that good news of a resurrected Savior, is uh, what we hope in today. I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would uphold me throughout this time to uh, communicate your word. And I ask you, Lord, that I might do so clearly. And, Father, I do pray again for us to have ears to hear. Pray for all of our people. Lord, from the oldest to the youngest, male and female, 
God, I pray that Christ would be fully formed in us until, Lord, we are, uh, or as we look forward to that day where Christ returns. Bless us now. Bless your word as it goes forth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at message entitled, Good Stuff. And when I went through First and Second Thessalonians several months ago and outlined the two books, this is the title that I wrote down for this section. I've stuck with most of my titles for it, and I thought I'd stick with this one as well. Because what we find here is a lot of good stuff. And also uh, in this, we see that this passage tells us the good things that we as a church should be pursuing and seeking after. Now, I'll tell you that every one of these verses could have a sermon unto itself. So if there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine verses here, I think, we could spend nine weeks if I took a Sunday morning and, and went through each of these verses. But we're not approaching this book in that way. Um, we're trying to take it a little quicker and see, see it uh, all in a shorter period of time so that maybe that will even help us to remember the contents of it. Now, uh, we're going to go here and work through this with three points, and I'm keying off the word good. And the first thing that I want to point out to you that uh, the apostle gives to the Thessalonians here is good inter- interactions, good interactions. And we see this in verse 14 and verse 15. All right, so let's uh, see, first of all, the, the things he says, do this, do this. As you look there in verse 14, it says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. And that goes in the first blank, the second blank, warn the unruly. And as we work through this, I'll comment briefly on, on each one of these. But warning the unruly, and I talked about these just a little bit last week. But this is one of those things where we look at it in the, in the scriptures and we're like, do, do you really expect me to do that to fellow Christians? Do you really expect us to have that sort of interactions with one another where we actually warn one another? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Uh, that uh, those interactions do need to occur. As I told you last week, the word warn is the word for admonish. It's the same thing that's found, same one that's found in Romans fifteen fourteen, uh, full of all goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. That's warn one another. That's part of the Christian life. And we see the word unruly here. It's the word that means lazy. It means idle. It means insubordinate. It maybe is those some of those in Thessalonica who had bought into the. Um, Perusia hysteria, if you remember me talking about that. And they had just kind of quit doing stuff. And they had become idle. They had become insubordinate to the authority of uh, God's word and what the Apostle Paul had even delivered to them. And they just were not living out the Christian life as they should. Uh, we've seen something to this in uh, chapter 4, 11, and 12, where he said to them to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, because they were minding other people's business, and they were not being diligent to work. I'll tell you, I thought of this song. I was, I was trying to think of it before I preached that sermon from 1 Thessalonians 4 about mind your own business. I knew there was a country song that talked about that. Does anybody else remember that? 
There's a country song, and it's by Hank Williams, but some of the lyrics say this. If you mind your own business, you won't be minding mine. If you mind your own business, you'll be busy all the time. And uh, here he's telling them to, uh, to uh, warn the unruly, perhaps those who are being idle, those who are uh, insubordinate. Uh, also in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 7, we'll be seeing this in weeks to come, God willing, but it says, command, we, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Now, if you think about the, the word of God in 2, Tess- 2 Timothy three sixteen, it is for reproof. For correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's right. So the Word of God reproves, corrects, instructs. Now we can take this. How do we warn one another? We warn one another with the Word of God, reproving, correcting, instructing. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, Timothy is told to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. And then it says, convince, rebuke, exhort. And then, as I've already said in Romans 15, 14, actually prior to those writings, able to admonish one another. Let me give you a couple of references in Proverbs. Proverbs 25, 5 through 6, because you may not be sure about this whole warning somebody, admonishing somebody, because that sounds like dangerous business. Proverbs 25, 5 through 6 says this, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Proverbs twenty eight twenty three, He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. Now, this is easy to say when you're the rebuker and not the rebukee, right? You're, that's easy to say when you're the one who's doing the warning and you're not the person who is being warned. Uh, what happens here is this is where the, op- the potential for problems comes up in the church. And it probably has a lot to do with what Paul says uh, in the following verses. So we've seen warn the unruly. Now let's see comfort the faint-hearted. Think of it in this way. The person who just got warned could quickly become the faint-hearted. They they could become the person who has uh, has been said about this is of small courage or is of little, is little spirited. They could be that person. Or this could be a completely different group in the church that Paul is addressing here in comforting the faint-hearted. In Joshua chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and verse 24, when the Israelites went into the promised land and went to Jericho, it was uh, said, I think, by Rahab here that the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. And then in uh, verse 24... All the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us, as they 
quote what she has said and what, or, or they are speaking among themselves. There's this faint-heartedness where they have no power. They have no strength within themselves. Warren Wearsby calls these the quitters. These are the people who have gotten to a place in, um, in following the Lord, in church life, whatever it might be, where they're just faint-hearted and they're at the point to where they're ready to quit. So they are to be comforted. They are to be um, encouraged. If you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, let me point this out to you real quick so you, maybe you can connect this. Maybe we can connect this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul there, do you all remember where he's talking about being a mother and being a father? Or being like a mother and being like a father to the Thessalonians? Well, going back to the part where he talks about being like a father in verse 11, he says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. We see that word comforted there and the action that he took toward them as um, an apostle to the church there in Thessalonica. So comfort the faint-hearted. The next one we see is uphold the weak. Uphold the weak. This weakness... This word is used in the New Testament to speak of a fleshly, the flesh being weak. It's weak against temptation. It is uh, the weakness of the human nature is unable to save itself. Or is the weakness of an immature conscience, 1 Corinthians 8, 7. And it can also speak specifically uh, to those who are sick. Uh, physically. So this uphold the weak could manifest itself in a lot of different ways in the church from physical sickness to a salvation salvific weakness where we cannot save ourselves which is all of us before coming to Christ and a weakness against temptation and he says here uphold the weak. The word for uphold means to hold firmly to, to hold fast to them, to be devoted to them, to be loyal to them, to cling to belief for them, for those who are barely hanging on to belief themselves. So uh, we are loyal to them. And the last one is be patient with all. Whether it's those who are, those who are unruly or whether it's those who are faint hearted or whether it's those who are weak. Or whether it's um, those who, who aren't any of those things but are doing well. Scripture tells us be patient with all. Be long-suffering toward all. all right? So now, don't do this. This takes us to verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. So what's the first thing under don't do this? Don't render evil for evil. Don't render evil for evil. Second thing, don't stop pursuing what is good. Just in reading the Bible in the last, uh, probably the last year, it's jumped out to me some passages that go along with this. And I've included some of those on the back of your handout, along with others that I uh, thought of as I, but, but this theme of goodness for the, for the Christian is pretty prominent. Let me show you some of these. If you look at the back of your uh, handout, you'll see it. Acts 10, 38. 
Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good. In Acts 14, 17, talking about God. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. In Romans 12, verse 9, to the church, cling to what is good. Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans fifteen fourteen. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Romans sixteen nineteen. Be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Galatians four eighteen. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. Galatians five. 22 through 23, I'm cutting that short, but it says the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Galatians 6, 6, 9, and 10. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Let us, who grow, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians 5.8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether, whether he is slave or free. Ephesians 5.9, but the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Titus 2.14, God has saved for Him people, Christ has saved for Him people, redeemed for Him people, for Himself a people zealous for good works. 3 John 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Hebrews 13.16, But do not forget to do good. And to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Matthew 5.44 But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be your sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good. Mark 9.50, salt is good. Now notice what he says. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will it be seasoned? Therefore, have salt in yourselves. What he's saying? Salt is good. Then he says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. If you'll turn over to 1 Peter 3. Let's take a look at this, and I've just brought out some New Testament references. If you want an Old Testament reference, this one was mentioned yesterday morning at the men's breakfast, and it's Amos five fourteen through 15, which is a great cross-reference in the Old Testament uh, for this idea of, being, of God's people being a people who are participating in the things that are good. But 1 Peter chapter 3 Verse 8, all right? 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Everybody got that? If you got it, say amen. amen. All right, thank you. All right, verse 8. Notice the word good throughout this. Finally, uh, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. 
Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not, re- not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and seek good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13. <clears throat> and he who is and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? <clears throat> but even if we should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Verse 16. Having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better... If it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Did y'all see the word good in there quite a bit? Hope that you did. All right, so if we spend that long on the next two points, then we're going to be in big trouble. All right, so let's get going. Uh, the next, next point is good attitudes and actions. And the reason I put attitudes in here is because it doesn't seem the two can re- be separated from one another when we look at these next verses. And this is going to take us through uh, verse 16 through 18 under this point. Good attitudes and actions. So let's see it. The first uh, good attitude and action is rejoice always. All right. Second one is pray without ceasing. And then the last one is in everything give thanks. Everything that we're about to see in verses 16 through 22 is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, have you guys considered trying to rejoice always? No, he's saying to the church, you must rejoice always. This is not an option. So when you think about what they are dealing with, we know about some of the persecution that they faced. We know about some of the concerns that they've had about the saints who had died. And uh, they had concerns about the coming of the Lord. And now they are being told to warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. You guys need to do this yourselves. In the midst of all of those things that could be against them or could be challenging to them, Paul says, rejoice always. You must do this. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I want some input. I need your help this morning. Why can we rejoice always? Jesus is enough. Jacob? Good, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why else? We're redeemed, right? 
I'm sorry? God's working all things together for our good. Good. Anybody else? All right. Jesus is interceding for us. Uh, so y'all heard several things there. And if you just stop in the midst of whatever's going on in your life and you actually process through all that God has done for us in Christ, that rejoicing comes pretty easily out of that. And the way that we can be sustained in our rejoicing is actually thinking through those things over and over again and preaching them to ourselves. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Let me read you something real quick about pray without ceasing. This is from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. He says about this word, the ceasing, that it does not mean some sort of nonstop praying. Rather, it implies constantly recurring prayer. Growing out of a settled attitude of dependence on God. Whether words are uttered or not, lifting the heart to God while one is occupied with miscellaneous duties is the vital thing. Verbalized prayer will be spontaneous and will punctuate one's daily schedule as it did Paul's writings, and even in 1 Thessalonians. So when you have a dynamic church life, as we looked at last week, and that's the end of the quote, but when we have that dynamic church life of being weak and uh, uh, upholding the weak and uh, warning the unruly and comforting the faint-hearted, these things can be hard and confusing and even dangerous at times. So we cannot do this on our own. We cannot live out the Christian life on our own. Therefore, we must be continually in humility, faith, and a, and a dependence that never ends. Be seeking God in prayer. The last one, giving of thanks. Y'all just named a bunch of things a moment ago that, that help us to rejoice. Those very same things are the things that we can also be thankful for. And that thankfulness can quickly change the things that seem to be aggravations in our lives to, uh, to seeing them from God's perspective and remembering that God does indeed work all things together for our good in His life. In the, in the book of Romans in the 8th chapter, it says to us there that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. You know that that means that it means that we not only are the victors because of God and His love for us in Christ, but the things that were to harm us by the enemy actually work out for our good. And when we understand these things in the truth of God's Word, that thankfulness can come forth by His grace. All right, let's go to the last blank there on that one. That's, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I capitalize you because I can't speak very loud this morning, and so I'm kind of yelling it at you from the PowerPoint. All right? It's for you. It's for me. It's for us. This is the will of God. All three of these, rejoicing always is the will of God. Praying without ceasing is the will of God. In everything giving thanks is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. If you'll write down a reference to go along with that, I'd like to share it with you real quick. Ephesians 4. And this verse meant a whole lot to me back, back when I was um, in, in high school, right after God saved me. But verse, chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 20, says, Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.20 And here he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Alright, let's get this last point knocked out. I forgot to underline that apparently. But good inactions. There's some good things not to do. Alright, and here they are. First of all, it's this. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. You can see the next one. It's do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. The next one is test all things. Hold fast what is good. That's not really an inaction, but I couldn't get it to work out any other way, so I just threw it in there. All right? Test all things. Hold fast what is good. You actually do need to test all things. But the result from testing all things is what you find here. Abstain from every form of evil. All right, you've tested everything, and now you abstain from every form of evil. So do not quench the spirit. The word quench means to like put out a fire. A smoking flax is used otherwise. He does not quench a smoking flax. So it is not uh, put out. The fire does not stop burning. It is not extinguished. You know, you might say, how in the world do we quench the spirit? I'm just going to throw this out there as a suggestion, and you keep studying it to figure it out. But what if the will of God in, for us in Christ Jesus is to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks? And, and that is, a, that is an, an example, that is the work of the Spirit of God, that we might be able to do those things, to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. And then we don't do it. We don't obey, we put the fire out. What if the verses following that, where it's talking about do not despise prophecies, and let's say that is the um, preaching of the Word of God, the, the preaching of the truth of God. What if we don't heed that? We kind of despise it? Could it be in that that we quench the Spirit as the Spirit is speaking through the Word? And what if we don't test all things? What if we don't hold fast what is good? Is there a potential in that that we would actually quench what the Spirit would have for us? And then what if we do not abstain from Every form of evil. What if we take part in evil? What if we become wise in what is evil and ignorant about the things that are good? Could it be in that that we quench the Spirit of God? That we quench the fire of God that is at work in our lives? It's interesting that when the Spirit descended, um, was poured out upon the church in Acts chapter 2, He appeared as cloven tongues of fire. So the, the Spirit is at work in us as believers. But we must be careful not to quench that Spirit by not doing the things in Scripture that the apostles told us to do, that the Word of God's told us to do, that God's told us to do. So... If you think about the Thessalonians here, guys, as I conclude, do you think that they had heard any prophecies about the second coming of Jesus? 
Do you think they'd heard any prophecies about what's going to happen to those who have fallen asleep? Your loved ones are dead. They're going to miss out. Do you think it's possible that after hearing these prophecies, maybe someone standing and authoritatively speaking to them about something, that they've, they've become disin, um, disinterested in it? And you know what? They were wrong about what they said, so why should I listen to any prophecies? Why should I listen to someone speaking authoritatively on behalf of God? But Paul says here, no, do not despise prophecies. But the prophecies prophecies that you hear, test them. And everything that's good, hold fast to it. Everything that's evil, have nothing to do with it. Now, I think that's all I've got for you all this morning. Um, Thank you for your patience as we work through those verses. I hope that that brings some clarity to those, and uh, or maybe will cause you to continue to study them out more. You know, uh, we have this opportunity to do all this stuff, all this good stuff. Did I get all the blanks done yet? All this good stuff. And this is, let me tell you, church, what we get to take part in here as a body is good. This side of heaven, this is good stuff that we are involved in. Why are we involved in this? Why are you involved in this church? Why am I here? Why do any of us come here faithfully and even seek to live for the Lord? It's because He died for us. He gave His life to save wretched sinners like us so that we can actually have a relationship that is going to last for eternity. And we can, on this side of heaven, help one another be prepared for that day. It might be, mean warning. It might mean comforting. It might mean upholding. It will mean being patient. But we can do that now. We can take part in that. And even now we can rejoice. We can pray to our God and Father Jesus and through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, we can give thanks for all things because of what Jesus Christ has done. I pray today that you know Him as your Savior. If you don't, the Bible would tell you to repent of your sins, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who died and rose again. And then as a a testimony, as a picture of what God has done to save you, the Bible tells us to go through water baptism, being buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. And I encourage you today, I exhort you today, if you've never believed on the Lord and He's working in your heart today to save you, confess Jesus Christ as your Savior. Respond in faith and repentance. He is faithful to save. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we can hear it, proclaim, that we can work our way through this passage of Scripture and translations of the Bible that we can read and then we have access to readily. Lord, but if, you, if, uh, if we, we are prone, I am prone. I won't speak for these good people. I'll speak for myself. I am prone to see this, to turn away and forget it. I ask you, Lord, help me to remember what your word says in all of these various areas. And by your grace, apply what you've said to my life. And God, I pray for all of us to grow in Christ. I pray for those who've never come to Christ in faith, that they would today 
repent and believe in Jesus' name. Amen.